You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. I got to give you the obligatory, obligatory Super Bowl weekend poll, right? So here we go. Bengals. Mm. Rams. Commercials. Wings. There's a football game? Yeah, yeah, who cares? Who cares? All right, we got everybody covered. So you know, I am rooting for the Giants. So you know, rooting for the Giants. Uh, The past few weeks we've been talking about hope, right? (laughs) I'm hoping, you know, uh, but as we've identified, hope is dependent on a promise, right? Hope's not just my wish. It's not like, hey, I hope that the Giants are going to win. It has to be dependent on something they have no chance. Hope is dependent on a promise, and so we've been exploring the promises of God as found in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the Hall of Fame of Faith. We've been looking at these promises God revealed, and so week one we talked about Abraham, if you remember, that the promise that Abraham displayed faith, and the promise, what he was hoping in that God gave him was that God says, hey listen, Abraham, you trust me, and here's my promise to you. I'm going to bless you more than you can bless you, right? And I'm going to make sure, I'm going to guarantee you, you're going to be a blessing to the whole world. We try so hard to make our lives count, and God says, listen, just trust me. You trust me, I'll bless you more than you can bless you. And I'm going to guarantee that your life is going to count all over. For generations, it's going to count. Then we get to Moses' parents, and Shana gave a great message on that, that God is always going to do the most loving thing for us. Moses' parents are willing to sacrifice themselves just for the chance to give him a chance at life. God will sacrifice whatever it takes, even his only son, right, because... That's how loved you are. So we have this promise that God's always going to do the most loving thing for us. We wonder about that, right? Always going to do the most loved. You couldn't be more loved. And then we get to Enoch. Right? We're going through the story. Enoch, right? So it's, I mean, awesome. Enoch, 300-something years old, right? Walked with God. And then the promise there is that God says, listen, I'm going to bring you home. Like the home that we feel here, like all of you wish you could be at home. Some of you are watching from home. Like everybody's, you know, home's different things. Whatever you're most profound sense of home, that's just a snapshot, just a taste, an appetizer to the, the home that we're going to have. The most home you've ever felt is nothing compared to how home we will feel when God brings us really home. That's a promise. We can know we don't lose heart. Don't worry about it. God's got you. You're going home. We're all going home. And then we turn to talk about Noah. Right? Building this big boat, all this kind of stuff. And the promise of God is very simple. This, I'm going to help you. Whatever I've called you to, I will help you. If it feels overwhelming, if it feels like too much, if it feels too heavy, if it feels like nobody's ever done this before, I don't even understand how. God says, hey, I promise you can't have better help. I'm going to help you do that. And those are the things God promises us. So today we're going to look at three people. Don't worry, it's short. Um, I'm just going to look at Isaac, uh, Jacob, and Joseph. Three different people, and their stories are summarized in four sentences. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Their stories summarized in four sentences, and their stories just might reveal the most important promise of God yet, okay? It might be the most important promise of God yet. Um, uh, so God promises, this, this promise of God gives power to all the other promises God's got, right? So this tells us something really important about the promise maker. And it's really important because the promise maker matters, right? The promise maker matters. A promise is only as reliable. If I promise you something, that promise is only as good as me. And so here's the thing. Two years ago, the New York Giants got a new head coach. 
And he loudly promised that the only culture we're going to have around here is a winning culture. And he also promised that they're going to play every game hard. We're going to punch other teams in the nose. And as a fan, that sounds great. You're like, yeah, let's do that. Um, they won 10 games last two years. <laughs> they lost 23. Um, that's not good. If you're not a football fan, just know that's not good. Winning 10, losing 23 is not good. See, because when you don't deliver on your promises, you know what happens? Your words lose power to give people hope. If you fail to deliver, people, you know, he got fired. Yeah, he got fired. Um, because the promise maker matters. You're going to put it out there. You better be able to, to back it up. So the promise we're about to discover about God actually is all we need to know about the promise maker. It's going to give us what we need to know about God. How do we trust these promises that, that we're loved and that God's going to give us help? And how do we trust all those other promises? Well, here's what the story of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, they're going to show us that. So we're going to read it. Hebrews chapter 11. You're going to find it. It's going to be on the screen behind us. It says this. It says, it was by faith. That's how it always starts. It was by faith. It was by faith. So here it goes. It was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau. And verse 21. And it was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. And it was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently, confidently. That's Pastor Dre, right? Everybody said confidently, confidently, that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. Oh, we're going to leave Egypt. We're going to leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. That's some confidence right there. Let's take a minute and pray if you would. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, I just ask you guys, show us who you are. If we have doubts, or confusion, if we're not sure if we can trust you, let us see you today like we've not seen you before. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So three consecutive generations here we got. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Three generations, right? Father, son, grandson. That's how we go. These, are, these people were eventually in the lineage of Jesus. So you know. Like you trace it back, like you find the story of Jesus, their names are going to be in that list. Right? And it started with actually there with Isaac's father, Abraham. That's the story. all starts with Abraham, right? That's kind of how the promise starts there. God says, hey, Abraham, you trust me. You follow me, right? I'll make your I'll, I'll turn your little family into a nation. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless the world through you. Right? That's what he promises him. So Abraham has, he actually has two sons, but only one son, like the way it was supposed to be. So it's one son, Isaac, and that's it. He's got one son. Nation, here we go. Building a nation. I got a son. Right? That's how you go. We're not told much about Isaac. If you look through the scriptures, there's not a lot about Isaac in there. Not a lot of stories. Like, compared to the other people that are in that timeline, not a lot given to Isaac. And I think he's shell-shocked from his childhood. I think that's what, what happened. Um, first of all, his parents were 100 when they had him. Just think about that. Like, I don't know if anybody's got some older parents. You had older parents. Like, I don't think Isaac played catch with Dad. <laughs> He's 100 years old as an old guy, right? And then he has a half-brother named Ishmael who's older than him, right, who doesn't really like him and teases him. Like, makes fun of him all the time, right? And, and Mama Sarah didn't like that. And so she sent them away. She's like, okay, Ishmael, you can go, and Ishmael's mom, you can go. And so there's, like, tension. So he's a little kid, right? Super old parents, tension in the home, right? And then to, like, kind of 
wrap it all up, put a nice little bow on it. As he got a little older, his dad tried to sacrifice him. He tied him up, put him on wood, and was, had, a, had a knife up and was about to like, take his life. I don't know, anybody ever have that as a kid? Hopefully not. And if so, you're probably in therapy for a really good reason. Like, that's, tr that's traumatic. Absol it's a turbulent childhood. I mean, really, think about Isaac's story. It wasn't smooth. But he also saw God miraculously provide. Because as he's laying on that pile of sticks, getting ready to be the sacrifice, he sees God provide a, a ram for, for the sacrifice to take his place. Whew, right? As he's there. It, he was a miraculous child. He saw his pro He was the providence of God, right? He was, his parents weren't supposed to have children. He eventually marries. He has two boys. We know they're Jacob and Esau, right? They don't really get along too well either. Um, and eventually, on his deathbed, Isaac pronounces blessings on his sons. And Jacob, the younger son, actually tricks, right, Isaac, who's blind. Isn't that nice? Dad's old. He's blind. He's trying to bless his son. I should trick him now. This is a good time to get dad, right? I mean, seriously, this is one of the things about scripture, right? Like, these stories are not, like, sugar-coated. Like, there's just some messed up stuff that happens in here, and God just tells it like it is. He doesn't hide it. It's one of the reasons I feel like it's got to be true. Like, God doesn't, he's not hiding stuff here. So he tricks his father into giving him a blessing for his older brother Esau. And here's the, so we're going to go to Jacob now. So that's Isaac. That's kind of Isaac's story. Now you get to Jacob. Jacob's a rat, right? He's a weasel, right? He's that person, you know, like, in your life, you know who it is. You know who the Jacobs are in your life. The people that you, like, if you could, you would. Right? Those kind of people. Most of his life is filled with deception and trying to kind of manipulate things to go his way. Most of his life, he's trying to manage things in his own way. And he ultimately has to run away from home because his brother's going to kill him for what he's done. Like, that's how bad it gets. He's gotten so that he's like, they're going to kill me. Right? So he leaves home. He ends up... He can't make it up. He ends up wrestling with an angel of God. Can't win. Won't let go. Says, okay, you got to at least bless me. So the angel says, all right, I'm going to change your name. Jacob says, now you become Israel. That's where we get the name Israel. That's the, the genesis of that story. Ends up reconciling with his brother Esau many years later. Has 12 sons, become the 12 tribes of Israel, as we know. Um, now that nation promise is starting to pick up steam, right? Yeah, you know, Isaac is one. Jacob had two. I mean, Jacob's got, got 12 now. Okay, we're getting somewhere. He's picking it up. Now, eventually, um, he's got this son, Joseph, one of his favorite sons, loves him so much. You can you know, watch Joseph's Technicolor coat. Tells you the whole story. Totally accurate. Right? Gives you all that kind of stuff. But you understand he's got this favorite son. Brothers, they hate him. A lot of hating going on. A lot of sibling rivalry in their stories. Right? And so they hate Joseph. And so they, they sell him as a slave. They tell dad, hey, he died. Rotten brothers. Rotten. So for, the, for, for years, Jacob is living believing that his son, his favorite son, is dead and gone. Just, just, you know, that's actually what happened. So his other sons are lying to him about it. Eventually a famine hits the land. They have to go to Egypt to get help. You know the story. They reconcile. He finds out that, that Joseph's still alive. It's this amazing story. And, and on his deathbed, Jacob says, okay, I'm going to bless. I'm not going to bless you, Joseph. I'm not going to bless your brothers. He does in, in a way. But he says, I want to bless your son, so my grandsons. He says, bring in. So Joseph brings in his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and Jacob blesses them. And actually, if you look at the 12 tribes of Israel, right, they're included. The, 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 the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim are included. Joseph's not in there. It's, it's those two. That, that's what comprises the tribes of Israel. And so he got there. And so then that's how you get to Joseph. And now Joseph, right, now 
Jacob dies and Joseph's there. He's living in Egypt and he's second in command and he's got all this power and stuff. He's got, that wasn't always his story. Right? He had one of the most challenging stories we know in all of scripture. And I'm flying through here. I'm just giving you some background. I'm going to slow down a minute, but just track with me. So Joseph, right, he's got one of the most challenging stories. He, he's got these dreams. He ends up in, in a hole in the ground. His brothers hate him. He's in jail all over the place. Life is rough for Joseph. But one day, in one day, everything changed. He goes from prison to palace one day, within a span of hours. He's like, he's been in jail for years. The next thing you know, he's shaving, cleaned up, and he's before Pharaoh. Like, he is, he's elevated. It's, it's an amazing story, incredible story. And he lives out his years, and now it's time for him to die. And so he blesses, and it doesn't say he blesses his son. It doesn't say he blesses his grandsons. It says he blesses the people of Israel. Because by now, that promise to Abraham is starting to gain some traction, and there's actually a people. There's actually start the, the formation of a nation. Not yet, but it's coming. It's coming. And here's the point. All three gave blessings on their deathbed. Every one of those stories says when they were about to die, they blessed. When they're about to die, they blessed. When they're about to die, they blessed. That's what they're honored for in the Hall of Fame of Faith. It's this. It's this simple action. It's not all the other stuff in their stories. It's not, you know, Joseph trusted God for this, and, you know, Jacob did this, and Jacob wrestled with God, so he's all. No, it just says this. They bless people on their deathbed. That's why they're, like, isn't that weird? Of all the things that they did, that that's what would be pointed out? Now, when we're about to die, life gets kind of clear. Actually, I was with somebody last night. I served as a chaplain for the Robinsville Police Department. Got a call last night. Had to go. Somebody had passed away in town um, unexpectedly, so I'm in the house with the family. And I'm telling you, the, the son says to me, you know, it's funny. I haven't looked at my phone in I don't know how long. For the longest time, I've left my phone alone for years. He just said, you know, when things like this happen, it's like other things aren't so important anymore. Right? When you become faced with, like, your mortality, with the end of, of your life, everything kind of clarifies. And for, for many people, right? Nobody talks about, oh, man, I wish I filed more reports. Oh, I got more laundry to do. I wish I would have bought more things. Nobody's talking like that, right? We're talking about what matters most. And each one of these guys, at that moment when they're just kind of having this clarify, you know, that this, this light from heaven, okay, I'm getting it. They say, oh, here's what matters most, Right? And they pass on confidence into God to do things down the road that they will never see and can't participate in. Each one of them said, hey, God's going to do these things. I'm never going to see it, but I believe it. They're talking to the future. Hey, sons. Hey, grandsons. Hey, future generations. This is what God's going to do. They had such confidence in God that he was going to do good. They made it their final act in life. Like all the others on the list, their faith in God was based on the promise of God. Their hope was founded on something God promised. So I'll be honest with you. Every week I'm doing these, I go to these things, and I'm like, okay, so what's the promise of God here? Like, what is actually that, what were they, what were they hoping in? What was that promise? And I wrestled with this one. I did. I was like, I don't know. I don't want to make something up. I don't want to just make it fit because we're trying to build a series, and i got to make it work, and i got to just preach something, and people, like... I, I was genuinely like, come on, God, what's the promise here? What are they hoping in that we can hold on to? Right? Because, like, we see the story, but, like, what's the promise? Was it just the promise that God gave to Abraham? They were just believing back to that promise? You know, that God's going to make you a blessing? I, I think there was something more, and I was just really wrestling with it. And I was in my car, and I had some music playing. I was driving back and dropping my son off at school. 
And a song I'd never heard before, I don't, I don't always listen to music, sometimes I just like it quiet, um, most of the time I like it quiet, but I was listening to a song and I'd never heard it before and the lyrics just like, like, and here they are, they say this, it just says, God of the ages, young and old sing your praises, constant you stay the same, all of my days, God of the ages, Lord of all generations, glory unto your name. Worthy of fame, God of the ages. And, and the team's been great. They're actually going to play this song at the end. But as I heard those words, it echoed in my mind. He's the God of the ages, the God of the ages, the Lord of all generations, Lord of all generations. And it was like, boom, I got the promise. I hear it here. The promise is very simply this. God will never change. That's the promise. That's the promise Isaac was believing in and Jacob, and Joseph, and every generation since then has held on to the promises as God says, hey, listen, who I am is who I will always be. In theological terms, Shana, do you know what it's called? Irish? Oh, man, come on, let's give it up for Shana, come on. She's a Princeton doing her Masters of Divinity. She's got it, she's on it. The immutability of God, it's a big word, nobody cares. But that's what it means, that God never changes. Somebody, it matters for a text. Um, Whoever God has proven himself to be in the past is who we can trust him to be today. That's what it means. That the God who provided for Isaac is still a providing God today. That the God who showed grace to Jacob is still being gracious today. That the God who redeemed Joseph is still redeeming people today. And you don't have to just take my word for it. It's not like, oh, Dan got some inspiration from a song uh, as he was driving back, and so, hey... You know, that's how God works. No, it's, it's, it's all over the scripture. How about King David? How about take King David's words for it? Psalm 102. Long ago you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. Talking to the Lord. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will change them like a garment and discard them. But you, God, are always the same. You will live forever. The children of your people will live in security. Their children's children will thrive in your presence. God never changes. Remember, Jesus shows us who God is, right? The writer of Hebrews tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. Jesus says, hey, guess what? I'm going to show you the Father. You know what the Father does? He never changes. James is the brother of Jesus. He said this, God never changes. Are you picking it up? All right. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. We live in a world that constantly changes. There was a floor there last week. It was 60 today. There's snow tomorrow. I mean, seriously. Everything is constantly... How much change could we take? How much change has gone on in your life in the past few years? How we, how we work. Anybody work in the same way? Because we work different now than we did, right? We exercise different. Anybody even have a Peloton anymore? Seriously, like, what the heck happened? They're gone. Like, everything we do changes. How we do school changes. Right? Virtual, online, doing this kind of stuff. How we connect with each other changes. Right? It went from, you know, flip phones and, you know, landlines and, you know, pigeons, all that kind of stuff. And now, you know, we got Zooms and all this other stuff. It's, it's crazy. You know, kids don't call anymore. They just FaceTime. And I'm like, what are you, that's weird. I don't want to see you. Just tell me what you want. I don't understand. <laughs> Too much change. How we connect to each other has changed. How we gather has changed. Looking at you people online, right? How we gather. How we shop has changed. Right? Some of you don't even, you don't do food, no, I don't do food shop anymore, they deliver to me. I don't go there, they just, they just do it for me, 
right? And I saw Pete over there. He's like, yeah, I'm just picking it up. They did it all for me. I'm like, it's not a bad thing. This is, this is crazy, right? We live in constant change. Society is changing. The world is changing. Change can be good. It can be bad. Some change is great, right? I love the doors that have opened because of technology. Like, it's so cool, the way that we can connect and do all this stuff. We've got people in our, small, in our branches, small groups, from all over the world. It's amazing. It's just really cool, all the different ways that this is developed. You know, we got a mission barbecue. Listen, I love that kind of change. That's good change. We need more of that kind of change. I've met new people, gained new appreciations. Listen, change can be good, but change can also be scary. Because it can cause uncertainty. Right? If, if we don't know what to expect, it can lead to fear. Since we don't have a building, I'm getting weary of all the changes to our schedule. As a church, I'm telling you, change, it's just like, oh, I'm tired of this change. Sometimes change asks too much of us. Right? Go back to the quote. I quoted this a, about a month or two ago. Um, I'm sure you all remember it, but um, it's the definition of beauty, according to Martin Schleski. Isn't that a good name? He's a German violin maker, and he says this, beauty is the alteration between familiarity and surprise. You may remember this. Beauty is the alteration between familiarity and surprise. Too much familiarity is boredom. Too much surprise is chaos. Right? Familiarity asks too little of us. Boredom, you know, boredom asks too, I'm sorry, boredom asks too little of us. Chaos asks too much. Right? We need balance of both. There can be beauty in the constant changes of life. Listen, we're in a world that's constantly changing, but there can be beauty in it if, if we know that God never changes. Right? He is the eternally familiar. He is the anchor. He is the rock. He is our stable foundation. And the Wizard of Oz, anybody remember that one? Love that one? Yes? Yes? No? The Wizard of Oz? And eh, no, the Flying Monkeys, maybe? No? Okay. Um, but they get to the Emerald City. If you remember this, they get to the Emerald City. And the great Oz refuses to help. They get there and he says, nope, not going to help you. You can try and come back tomorrow if you'd like. And Dorothy's arguing with him and says, if you were really great and powerful, you would keep your promises. Verbatim what she says in the movie. If you were really great and powerful, you would keep your promises. They argue back and forth, you know the scene, until Toto the dog sniffs him out right at his little booth. Just a guy behind a curtain pretending to be powerful and he's nothing. And here's the point that this brings out to us. If the guy at the top isn't trustworthy, it all falls apart. If the guy at the top isn't trustworthy, then who can we hope in? If we don't know that God is trustworthy, that who he is is who he's always been, right? If God changes, how could we ever trust him? If he's loving today, but he's irritable tomorrow? Or if God was just yesterday, but ambivalent today? Right? If he was, if he was able in the past, but he's powerless now? But we have this promise. We have this promise. It's our anchor, our confident hope. He who has shown himself to be faithful throughout history is the same God you can count on. You can count on him to be faithful to you. All right. Here we go. Ready? So what? So what? So God never changes. So he's immutable. What difference does that really make? You're going to walk out of here Saturday night, like, I don't know, watch football tomorrow, like, I don't know, what are you going to do? Like, what difference? God doesn't change whatever it's life. What difference does that really make? I want to go back 
to the three patriarchs and what they did. I think we pull it out of there. They knew God never changed. And I don't want to miss what they did. Because what they did, knowing that God never changes, I think it's a point we have to really hold on to. They made it a point to pass that hope on to the next generation. It wasn't just for them. They passed that on. At the end of their lives, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph made sure to pass on hope that God is trustworthy. Joseph was so sure that God was trustworthy, he said, listen, you're going to take my bones with you. When you walk out of here, when you get out of here, when God leads you out, because I know God who has said it, he's going to do it, because he's always the same. I'm telling you that, God, when he does that, break, take my bones with you. God's going to lead us out of here. He always has. I've seen it. He's going to do it again. Confidence. It's imperative to them that they pass on their hope in a God whose goodness never changes to their children, to their children's children. And here's what that means for us. Very simply, God is here for you. Yes, he's here for me. We have hope in that. Just like he's been there, we can have this great hope. We can have this assurance that God is faithful. It's great. It's awesome. But it's not just about us. And it's definitely not meant to stop with us. I'm, uh, I'm biased because I used to be a young person. <laughs> but there's a generation of young people growing up in a world where all they've ever known is change and disruption and disappointment. Time and again, the curtain has been drawn back on leaders who are in power, both, I mean, political, it, it, it could be societal, it could be social media influencers, celebrities, it could be teachers, athletes, it could be pastors. And all these people in positions of power and authority, the curtain has been drawn back and trust has been broken and that power has proven to be unreliable. And let me ask you, for this generation, who do they turn to? Can anyone be trusted? Is anyone who they say they are? We live in a world where everything is a facade. Everything is fake. Nothing's real. We can't trust any video you've seen. Everything, everything is deception. How do we trust anyone? We're in danger of an entire generation giving up trusting anybody. And while the world around us swirls, this is our moment. Because God has given us this promise. I am true north. When everything is unstable, I am the compass that continually points the same direction over and over and over again. Who I am is who I was. It's who I will be forever and ever. I never change. He is trustworthy. And listen, it's not just a... It's not just a responsibility that we have in the sense of it's a burden that we're supposed to pass this on to the next generation. You know what? It's a privilege. We get to pass this on to the next generation. We don't have to. This is a get-to. We get to give the next generation the gift of hope in a God who will be there for them when we're long gone. Right? A hundred years from now, we know this, right? All new people. If Jesus doesn't come back a hundred years from now, we're all gone. Unless anybody thinks you're living to 140, 50, 60, 30, whatever. I mean, I mean, all new people. So what we're passing on to them is we get to pass on this hope that, hey, guess what? Let me just tell you, you're going to take my bones with you someday. Because the God who has walked with me is going to walk with you just like he walked with me. He's the God of the ages. Oh, 
It's really, really good. It was the ancient worship leader, Asaph, who gave these instructions to the people who knew that unchanging God. And we're going to read, I want to kind of bring this to a, a close with this. Psalm 78, 1. This is so good. Listen to some instructions. He says this. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Stories we have heard and known. Stories our ancestors, what handed down to us. We will not, here we are. We will not hide these truths from our children. What are we not going to do? We're not going to hide them. We're going to tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them. Even the children not born yet, and they in turn will teach their own children. You hear it. This is what he's saying. You're going to pass it on. So each generation should what? Set its hope anew. Set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Here's why it matters. Because if they don't, if they don't, then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. That's what happens when you've run out of hope. That's what happens to our generation right now of, of people all throughout the world, right? That don't have hope. This is what they're doing. Stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful because God can't be trusted. I don't trust anybody. I have no hope. If you have no hope, that's the inevitable end. Each generation needs to set their hope anew on God. Here's the, the, the reality. It's, it's both good and bad. I can't hope for my kids. I can't hope for them. I mean, I have hope. But I can't hope for them. It has to be theirs. They've got to set their hope on God. I can't make them do that. But we get to help by sharing our stories of God's faithfulness. Let me tell you, on my deathbed, I'm going to bless you and let you know God never changes. When you tell a young person your story of faith, you're not just telling them what God has done. You're telling them who God is and who he will be for them for generations to come. You've been given the privilege of caring for and investing in the next generation. Right now, like at this exact moment, 15 of our young people are away <laughs> on a winter retreat with Pastor Kevin and Nikki. This is some of them. They just won volleyball. Give it up for Life Tree. We just won volleyball. My son texts me, Dad, bring it home the gold. Got the trophy. It's like, all right, give me blow by blow. Like, this is awesome for them. They won volleyball, but probably right now they're in a service. And they're hearing from a speaker. And they're experiencing God. Let me just tell you right now, Pastor Kevin and Nikki, they're heroes. Not just because they're going with the kids. Like that's, that's listen, that's a lot. They did that for 15 years. They're done with that, but they're there. I mean, it's Kevin smiling. Surprise. Shocker. Shocker. He's smiling, right? But here's the thing. They're making it possible for our kids to be there. That's why they're heroes. They're making it possible for our kids to understand who God is, to encounter him. It was 25 years ago, probably could be this day, that I was at a winter retreat in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, the Pendle Conference Center, as a teenager, as a 17-year-old, yeah, 17, my senior year of high school, and God spoke to me, and he called me to be a pastor. Yeah, I wasn't looking for it, 
I wasn't, I wasn't, I mean, I was not intent on being a pastor. Anybody that knew me would have been like you. Not, not voted most likely to be a pastor, right? Definitely not Dan. He doesn't talk to people. How could he be a pastor? I was, I was, was it wouldn't have been me. But the people who brought me there opened up the opportunity for me to encounter God in a way that changed the trajectory of my life. And you wouldn't be in a senior center right now, so it's a big deal. Um, but we need, as a church, I'll be really honest with you, we need youth leaders. They volunteered, but we got nobody. Pastor Dwayne Carrier gone now. We need youth leaders. We need people. We need we have we are the church, right? What we do matters. Kids are people, people are primary, so kids are primary. I was a youth pastor for many years. You know who our, one of our best youth leaders was? Where's John? John who was John was one of our youth leaders. John was awesome. No, no question. But John, who was our best youth leader? Yeah. Halsey. Come on, man. It was definitely Halsey. Halsey was 80-something years old. He, I mean, seriously, he clipped his, he clipped his nails during youth group. <laughs> I'm not lying. I'm not lying. He'd always sit like this with his legs crossed like this, you know, and he was an astrophysicist at Princeton Plasma Physics Lab. I mean, the dude was, like, super smart, and our kids loved him because he loved them. And he would pass on to them week after week just, hey, how you doing? And he would laugh. He didn't understand half of what they said. But he didn't care. He just kept showing up. And I'm just telling you, God can use you. Whatever you think, whatever excuses you got, I don't want to hear them. It's too important. The next generation is too important. They need to know the God that we know. We can't just say, yeah, I, somebody will get, get it. If God is an unchanging God, we need to let them know that. We need Treehouse Kids teachers we do. We need we need help with our kids. We got we got we got lots of opportunity. You know, it's like all sorts. We got opportunity all over the place. We need men and women willing to invest in the next generation. The next generation needs to know that God. We know they need hope, and we have it. And we get to pass it on to them. The constancy of God is critical amid the chaos of life. I don't anticipate that the world is going to have less change moving forward. I think it's only going to continue. And so for our children, for this, the next generation, you know what they need? They don't need to avoid change. They're going to be in it, but what they're going to need is an anchor. They're going to need a sense of stability in that. And let me tell you, I don't think there's any better anchor than the God who never changes. Who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I'm going to encourage you. Pray for our kids. Encourage them, tell them your story, share faith with them. You don't have to wait till your deathbed to pass that on. You can start now. Um, and you consider how you can help. If you have any interest and you'd say, yeah, I'd, I'd be willing. Like, we don't just throw anybody in with the kids. Like, you got to be background checked. We do, we have, like, you know, things. Like, we check, make sure everybody's good and all. But seriously, if, if God's putting it on your heart, and I'm praying that he's, he's just putting it on people's heart right now, and you're going, ah, yeah, that's you. All right, that's you. All right, on your connection card, you can just check. I'll be interested. I'll be interested in the conversation. The next step, sure. You can call me, and then I'll just uh, dread it for the next few days. No, I, I, there's no hard sell. It's not pressuring anybody. But if God puts it on your heart, check the box. We really need it, right? Where we are in, in this point in our church's uh, lifespan, right? We're kind of in a rebuilding phase for our church, post-COVID stuff. Like, we need help. And the kids matter. Kids matter. they got to know this. So I encourage you to do that. So we're going to close now.
And we're going to pray, and then we're going to invite the band to come on up. We're going to sing that song, God of the Ages. It's an awesome song. I encourage you to sing it. Um, but let's just take a moment. Would you just pray with me as, as the band comes up? God, we just thank you. And I thank you that you never change. That we can trust you, God. That, that that's a promise for us, what it is for all of us right now that are hearing this. Lord, in our own lives, there's so much change, but we can trust you to be our anchor, to be our support, our stability. Lord, when all around us seems like it's spinning, God, you never change. Lord, when we're not sure which way is up, we can look to you and you are true north. You are our direction. And God, we confess that we've been disappointed so many times that it can cause us to doubt, not by you, but by others. And it can cause us to doubt, to question, to hesitate, to trust anybody or anything. And sometimes we direct that at you, God. We say, I've just been burned too many times. And God, how I can't even see you. How can I trust you? God, forgive us for that doubt. It's just part of our human nature. I know you understand it. And you give us grace for it and mercy. But God, we just confess it because it's true. We can't ignore it. It's, it's there. But God, we ask that you would help us to trust you. Lord, help our unbelief. God, give us confident hope. Help us pass that hope on. We all need to count on you in a world that's full of so much uncertainty, God. Lord, give us the courage, the strength, the resolve to lead the way. To say, I will take responsibility to pass on. So that this generation can set their hope anew on you. God, we pray for our young people right now. I pray for all those young people. Would you just join me? All those young people out of the winter retreat, not just our group, but all the kids that are out there, God. There's a couple hundred kids out there. We pray for every child in this church, every kid in Treehouse Kids, the, kid, the children in this room, the infants, Lord, those listening, all our families, our extended families. Lord, we pray for this generation of young people. God, help them set their hope anew on you. Help them to see you, to hear about you. Let us not hold back. Let us not be the reason that they haven't set their hope on you. Not everyone will choose to do that, we understand that, but let us do our part in at least sharing the story, opening the doors so that they can make their decision. May we pass on what we have found to be true of you, that you never change. Thank you, God. We give you all the glory.